Welcome to Eat, Sleep, Wine, Repeat, a podcast for all you wine lovers who, if you're like me, just cannot get enough of the good stuff. I'm Yanina Doyle, your host, brand ambassador, wine educator, and sommelier. So stick with me as we dive deeper into this ever-evolving, wonderful world of wine. And wherever you are listening to this, cheers to you. Hello, wine friends, and welcome back to part two with Dr. Laura Catena, Managing Director of Catena Zapata. If you want to learn a little bit more about the nuances of Malbec in Argentina and missed last week's episode, go back and start with part one. But today we'll be going into one of the most studied vineyards of the world, the Grand Cru site in Uco Valley, Mendoza called Adriana Vineyards. We'll be tasting some of the most exciting Malbecs in Argentina. Alongside getting to know Container more and hearing more fab stories about the grape pickers during harvest, for example, we will also touch on some of the other grapes growing in Argentina, specifically Cabernet Franc, which if you are a regular listener of mine, you'll often hear me talking about this fabulous grape variety. Now, across these two episodes, there is so much to learn and enjoy, but I haven't asked Laura to simply talk about the wine regions in detail, as realistically, you can just Google Mendoza wine region and you'll be able to learn quickly and easily about the three main wine growing areas that are Maipu, then Luján de Cujo and Uca Valley. But to give you a little context to understand how varied it truly is, in the coolest part of Uco Valley, which would be Gualtajari. The highest parts of this area are about 1500 meters above sea level. And you could compare this to the temperatures of Champagne and Burgundy. Paraje Altamira in Uco Valley and Agrelo in Luján de Cujo, which is where Catena's winery is. They have altitudes between 1100 meters and 1300 meters above sea level. And you could compare these temperatures to those in Rioja and Chianti. Then Lanlunta, which is in Maipu, which has the lower altitude vineyards of 750 meters to 900-ish meters above sea level. And you could compare that to Chateauneuf de Pape. Now, it's all just fascinating. And actually, I got this specific information from their Malbec Mon Amor book, which I'm thoroughly enjoying geeking out on right now. But do go to my show notes so you can download the transcript and you're going to see the spelling of all those small and amazing viticultural areas that I've just mentioned so you can look them up further. But for now, I think it is time to share the second part of our chat with you. So enjoy. Now, what I want to talk about for a second is the vision of your dad. Let's talk about Nicholas Catena, who has been decant. Is am I right? Is he, was he decant? He yes. was decanter man of the year, wasn't he? A few decanter, years ago. Mm. Well, it's. I think it's now person of the year because Jancis got uh, elected man of the year, and, and, and <laughs> they had to change it. And she appropriately. Uh, asked for it to be changed yes well too right too right so absolutely yes. he was personally a few years ago wasn't he but what was his vision I I, I know the vision but if you yes. could no, it was a course, good vision of course well you know when my father grew up with his nonno the Nicola the, the steak eating man for breakfast <laughs> he you know Nicola used to tell my father you know this place Argentina is fantastic it's better than Italy you know we have so much land and we've got the steak and he loved Argentina. In fact, 
when his parents were old, he was the youngest son. He brought them to live in Argentina, and his parents died in Argentina of old age. And mm. he, he loved Argentina so much, he, and he loved his parents and wanted to take care of them. And so they spent the last, you know, 20 years of their life in Argentina, or, or maybe less. But anyhow, so he used to always say to my dad, you know, this is the best place to make wine. He, he would complain about the yields. It's hard to get high yields in, in Mendoza because we don't have a lot of water. Mm. And but he's, he would always say, but don't ever try to compete with the French because they have this thing called terroir and nobody else has it, you know, which is, you know, the, the taste of place. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then my father, you know, you believe what your grandfather tells you because, you know, his grandfather was a wise man. And then he goes to California in the early 80s as a visiting scholar to UC Berkeley. And he sees that Mr. Mondavi has started this wine revolution saying, you know, we're going to challenge the best wines of France. And then, you know, Stephen Spurrier does the Judgment uh -huh. of Paris, this mm -hmm. incredible tasting where blind tasted California wines beat the best French wines. And nobody can believe it because all the judges are French. And, <laughs> uh, you know, and, they, and this, this Judgment of Paris really changes history. And so my father hears about all this and he says, hey, if the Californians think they can do it, I'm going to try and do it in Argentina. But in the, in the end, the story comes back to the French because my father comes back from California and he is thinking this is a technological revolution, right? If I get the mm -hmm. right oak, oak barrels and the right machines for pressing and if I um, get the stainless steel tanks and the, and the temperature control for the tanks, I can make great wine. And then he starts traveling to France to taste the best wines of Bordeaux and Burgundy. And actually, that's where I come in. So before I go to work with my father, you know, maybe, I don't know, 10 years before, the way I get interested in wine is as a wine drinker. You know, when I was, you know, in my early 20s, I thought I was going to spend my life drinking the family's wines, not making them. Because I was <laughs> going to be dream. a doctor. It's not no, a bad because, dream. Exactly. Not a bad, because I, I wanted to be a doctor. I wanted to help people with medicine. And I, and I didn't really see how I was going to help people with wine, which I completely changed my mind. I think, you know, it's not just that wine brings pleasure and brings so many great moments in moderation, but also this transformation of my country, of all these wine regions that, you know, now the economy is benefiting from winemaking. You know, I have a much bigger impact making wine than as one doctor working in one hospital. But, yeah. you know, back then... I was thinking of medicine, but my father tricked me. Did he? <laughs> he? He tricked me because for some reason, and this is a random fact, I became obsessed with uh, French literature when I was in high school in Argentina. I was going to this school, the, the one where I lunch, you know, where I had a piece of steak for lunch every day. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I had a French teacher that was incredible. And I was 13 years old reading Camus and Sartre. And, you know, when you're 13... You're going through your existential crisis until about maybe 20 something. And then you start thinking of, okay, oh my God, I need to pay my bills, you know. <laughs> but until then, you know, so I fell in love with France and French uh, language. And so I studied French and then I spent a couple of summers in France and I became fluent in French. So my father tricked me and he said, Laurita, will you come to France with me as my translator? When all along, he was probably thinking of, how do I get her interested in wine? That evil man. <laughs> right? That evil man. And so, of course, your father says, hey, would you like to come to France with me? Of course, you say yes, because my father and I love spending time together. And so yeah. I would be in France with him tasting the Grand Prus. You know, by the time I was 25, I had tasted every great wine in the world because 
I had gone with my father as his translator to France. And oh. by the way, everybody spoke English and my father speaks oh, English very well. Funny. So the translation was completely unnecessary. But that is how I eventually to France, fell in love with wine, and that's how I got the wine bag. Like many of the people listening to this podcast, probably, going Uh on a wine trip. Yep, 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 yep. So (laughs) when you came back, I'm just wondering about dates. It was you that founded the Catena Institute of Wine. Yes. Was yes. The yes. So basically right what happened was I had finished my training in accident emergency and I had my first job. And then my father asked me to go to this wine event, the New York Wine Experience in New York, because we were the first South American winer to be selected to be pouring our wines. And he tricked me again, oh. saying that I was the only person in the winery who spoke English well. And you know well that <laughs> accents sell more wine, you know. When you have a nice French, Spanish, Italian accent, your wine sells better because people love accents. So, but whatever, my father tricked me. And so I said, oh, my poor papa, he needs somebody to go pour wine. And so I went to this event and it was great and awful at the same time because, you know, the French winers, the California winers, the Italian winers had these long queues of people waiting to taste. And, you know, I had the occasional trickle of person who would look at my sign and read Argentina and think, Aww. you know, do they even make wine? You know, and, and and the worst thing happened to me is that somebody drank the wine of my neighbor and spat in my spittoon and didn't <gasps> taste my wine. I didn't taste. I was, oh. Isn't that awful? Oh my god! It was awful. This is literally like one of those. This is. I feel like this is a, a therapy session where yes. you know I'm the counselor oh, or the life no, coach. And you you're... are. You are. I am still <laughs> traumatized by this. Uh, so, and I always oh. tell people when I talk to white people, don't ever do that to anybody. If if you're going to spit in somebody's spittoon, you must taste their wine. Oh. So anyhow, the point being is that I called my father and I said, "Listen, I want to come help you, but I don't know anything about sales. I didn't even know what the word marketing." Meant. And I said, Mm. I know that I can help you in the viticulture and winemaking because I'm a scientist and I can help you in this terroir revolution that, oh, you know what? I never finished with the story of the French, why the French were right all along. So on these trips to France, (laughs) yeah, yeah, where I went as his translator, I understood the terroir concept, that there Mm. were some places that were a lot better than others. And so I started talking to, to my father about how we needed to find these places. And my father became convinced that these places would be in cooler climates. And that's why he started planting in places where nobody had planted vineyards before. And our Adriana vineyard that has been called, you know, the Grand Cru of South America mm-hmm. was the first vineyard at such extreme altitude, you know, almost 5,000 feet elevation. So, you know, I was inspired by these trips to France and I said to my father, you know, if you want to make these great wines, you're going to have to do a lot of study, a lot of trial and error, and a lot of research because we don't have 400 years like the Cistercian monks in Burgundy who, you know, would try <laughs> different things and figure things out. You know, we wanted With to thirsty. figure things out maybe maybe a decade, but not 400 years. And uh-huh. so I first, that's why I founded the Institute because I wanted to have some serious research and you know, since then we do between a thousand and two thousand micro vinifications per year, testing, oh my God. you know, different Still. amounts of wow. fields, different soils, different, uh, you know, cover crops. You know, everything we do in the vineyard, we always have a controlled experiment so that we can see if the new strategy is better or worse than the old. Mm. Okay, that's fascinating. Yeah. I didn't know you did that 
Many. And, and you know, with climate change, every winery is going to have to have some research because things are changing so quickly that if you want to adapt, you need to do research because otherwise you change something and you don't know why it worked mm -hmm. because you don't have a control. So you do need to apply some basic science and research, I think, in almost every place. And that's the other thing. The reason why I want to have our own institute is that, you know, we had had people from all over the world giving us advice, but often it was the wrong advice. So, for example, there was somebody from California who said, you need to open the vine, take the leaves off. You know, they used to do this removal of leaves to give more sunlight. But we are in high altitude and our you don't need sunlight, more sunlight burns. No. <laughs> yes. And in fact, you know, what happened is that the grapes burned. And if you had asked my grandfather, he would have said, don't do that. You know, mm -hmm. you don't do that in Argentina. But these outside experts thought they knew everything. So yeah. part of why we created the Catena Institute was that, you know, we needed to think global, act local. You know, yes, mm -hmm. we could use the learning from other places, but we needed to test it in our own native place with our own soil, our own people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so for that, we can probably talk about Adriana Vineyard a little bit more. So it's funny, I was reading, so Dr. Jamie Good was actually my podcast guest just before this episode, interestingly enough. And love he, him. Yes, he is oh, so much fun. He's my God. great. I love him. And he is literally a walking wine encyclopedia. It's insane. Yes. And he, as I'm sure you know, spoke about how he talks about how terroir is his favorite thing pretty much in the world. And this was his favorite part of his latest wine science book. And he has been quoted to have said that the Adriana Vineyard is quite possibly the most studied vineyard in the world. And so yes. I think we should probably talk about this very special Grand Cru site, right, in detail. Yes. So, you know, Adriana basically is this location where my father went looking for the, the cool climate limit for vine cultivation. And his own viticulturist said, you will never ripen grapes there. And my father said, oh, perfect. That's where I want to plant. Because he was looking for a place, yeah, that would be so cold that maybe you wouldn't make it every year. Mm -hmm. But he also counted on the sunlight being more intense. And yeah. what's interesting about this place is that it's very cool. So the, the sugars go up very slowly and, you know, sugar turns into alcohol. So you don't get super high alcohols. But the temperature change is very gradual. So you ripen really slowly and you always have the sunlight. And so, you know, there's some parts of France, so like Bordeaux, where you, you have to harvest because it's going to start raining. We don't have that problem. So mm. we can often leave the grapes on the vine to ripen fully, but they're not accumulating too much sugar because it's cooler. The diurnals are pretty extreme as well, aren't they? With the high altitude, you have much cooler nights. Oh yeah, the the those and that's really important because when the plant rests at night, it retains the acids. It doesn't use up the acids, and uh, you want the alcohol to be moderate and uh, the acidity to be, you know, nice and high. You don't ever want to add artificial acid. That's what some people do in very warm areas. Mm -hmm. You want the natural acid of the grapes. But you also want the tannins to have fully developed. You don't really want green flavors. Or, you know, a little green can be good if it's surrounded by not green. But, you know, all green is not attractive. Other mm -hmm. than in a, in a wine like Sauvignon Blanc. But, you know, in a Malbec, too much green will not be attractive. So, uh, so anyhow, this, this place is particularly special to make these really elegant well-balanced wines and then what we found was that we had all these different soils because this was 
an, an old dried riverbed. So we we had to study all these different parcels, and from each parcel we get a different flavor, which is you know so exciting because you know then we can have these single parcel wines like the two Chardonnays and these three Malbecs that are all from you know a few feet away from each other but totally different. And I think that's just so much fun to have these really different expressions of the same vineyard. And we've studied everything from the microbes in the soil to, you know, the root systems. Like, you know, we have in some places the roots go down four meters and in other places they go to a meter and a half. And then we we try to figure out, well, what's the impact of that on the flavor of the wine? And so mm. you just have to do a lot of trial and error. And, and you know, and this is not like chemical trial and error. Like we're not adding anything. We're just trying to understand nature. And that's why the vision of the Catena Institute is science to preserve nature and culture. Mm. You know, but to preserve nature, you need to understand it. You know, you can't preserve something that you don't understand. And so that's why what we're trying to do is to understand how is it that this magic occurred? Is it the microbes? Is it something about the root systems? Is it the the birds that live in this vineyard you know what does every part of nature uh, do what role does it play and how do we preserve it and then I say culture you know preserving culture because part of how we got there is through this culture of farming that dates back to the 16th century in Mendoza and you know all those traditions have been kept up and that's actually in, in severe danger of disappearing because a lot of the young children are not working with their parents in the vineyard, which is a good thing, you know, because there used to be child labor and that's not good, Mm -hmm. but they're not experiencing the vineyard with their parents. So we are now doing all these programs with high school kids who come and experience farming and, you know, they're not tasting wine because they shouldn't be, but they're seeing how wonderful it can be to work in the vineyard, to work in a winery. You know, in Argentina, actually, you know, an 18-year-old can work in a winery. I think in UK also, right? Yes, Your yeah. Drinking age mm-hmm. is 18, yeah. So, mm-hmm. but they can they can be, you know, working in the vineyards when they're younger. You know, usually at 16, kids are allowed to work as long as they're still going to school. And uh, and actually, uh, usually for work, we wait till they're 18. And we do have interns at the, at the winery that come from the local schools. And we've had many of them stay on working. And so now we're working really hard to get the local community interested in viticulture again. And it's, it's not like, you know, we, we can't find people at all. Like there's some countries where everybody that works in a vineyard is coming from another place. You know, nobody is local. We mm-hmm. have a mostly local workforce, which I'm really proud of, but that is slowly decreasing. And, you know, to me, it's my job to convince people that a life in the vineyards is worth living. It's my not job. It's not their job. You know, mm-hmm. if they're getting a better offer something somewhere else, they should go somewhere else. So my job is to make their life so good that they don't want to leave. Well, when they can taste the wine, I don't think they do leave, surely. Right, let's... <laughs> well, actually, can I tell you a great story about yes. that? So, you know, I... Actually, in Burgundy, the, at Domaine Le Roi, actually, the, the people who harvest then get to taste the wine. But in Argentina, that is not necessarily a tradition. The people who harvest 
you know, normally they get paid and then they go home and they don't taste the wine. And terrible. No, no, that's terrible. No. So I've actually changed that. And we usually give people wine uh, at the end of harvest, but also they get to have some wine for lunch if they want. Um, you know, just a little bit. Like, you, don't, you don't want drunk people harvesting because they might injure cut themselves <laughs> or something. But uh, but we were once doing a filming of Harvest, and we had this really famous chef there, and she had been cooking this salmon that was smoked salmon, but with the wood and the countryside. I mean, oh, everything yeah, was yeah, so yeah. beautiful. It was like be- with beach wood, probably. Exactly, or- it was amazing. Mm-hmm. Like everything was spectacular. It was like Michelin star level, and so. I said to the chef, I said, oh, let's film having lunch. And here, let's invite the people harvesting. So I went and talked to the person who was working with them. And I was like, tell them that we will pay them for this time, whatever they would have made. Because, you know, they are genuinely Mm -hmm. concerned about how much money they're going to make that day. And that's very valid concern. So I said, okay, let's you know, make sure that they're not uh, losing money by having lunch with us, you know. So I was like, and the, and the chef says something like, oh, Laura, you know, they're not going to understand my food and they're not going to understand your wine. And I was so upset. And I told her, I said, you know, you were really, like, challenge you, accepted. I'm like, I'm like, really, you think that they're not going to love my wine and your food? You know, if your food is any good, they're going to like it, you uh-huh. know. And I kind of like was a little... Perplexed, uh, you know, I guess. a little annoyed, you know, mm-hmm. and so we sit down, and uh, actually they were really excited to sit down with us because you know why not? You know, the good food and harvesting is hard work as well. <laughs> yeah, harvesting is hard work, and so they they come and sit with us, and you know we're having a great time. And I said, okay, guys, so you know, here have some of the salmon. So I was, you know, we were serving them the food, and then. I gave everybody a a little glass and I poured them the white stones. Oh my God, white stones. Okay, so so right before we did this, this one woman says to me, listen, I don't drink wine. And I said, okay, have just a little bit. She's like, okay, I'll try it. So I pour the wine, they're eating the food. They finished off all the food, by the way. They did not (laughs) leave anything. So they clearly liked the food. And then this one woman looks at me and she said, listen, I told you I don't drink wine. But if wine tastes like this, I'm going to start drinking wine. Wow. You t- I hope you told her she can't afford. This is not the level you can afford to drink. <laughs> well, I did kind of tell her. I was like, I, well, spoiler, that this is a very expensive wine. But I did actually tell her some wines that she could get. And and we had such a fun time. And, you oh. know, the, the bottom line is that, you know what? Great wine, great food. We all enjoy it. And yes, okay, so there's some food that's very expensive, wine that's very expensive. But I think that you can always find some great wines that are not that expensive, that are very good. You just have to look a lot and taste a lot and Mm. ask your friends. Absolutely. Now, I am going to take us to some wine that is expensive, but worth it. Um, I have poured (laughs) in my... I'm like, can can I taste it now? Please, please let me taste it. Um, I have poured in my glass the three Malbecs that we have from the Adriano Vino. Oh, yes. I love those. Okay. Um, Everybody, these are not cheap. These are wines for incredibly special occasions or even to collect and to age. Um, Can we quickly start with the... Am I pronouncing it correctly? The Fortuna Terre? Yeah, Fortuna Terre. Yes. Terre. Okay, Fortuna Terre. Okay. Okay, so that one I have, 2019 vintage in my glass. This is five hectares, and I just want to point out to everybody, this Adriana Vineyard is in Guatajari, the Tubungata region in Uco Valley. So there's the three, we haven't really even touched on that, but Uco Valley is 
Oh, incredible. So Yeah, so the Uco Valley is the cool climate area in Gualtajari, almost 5,000 feet elevation. This Adriana Vineyard that is a very special place. And these three Malbecs are from three different locations within this vineyard. So they're very close to each other. The Fortuna Terrae has a deeper soil, and the name means luck of the earth. And I wanted to give it a Latin mm. name because I thought that this flavor should be classified. Like Linnaeus, when he classified the species, I thought this particular flavor needed a Latin name. And luck of the earth, I thought was a beautiful name because this part of the vineyard has, you know, more butterflies, more bees, more native grasses. There's something about it that is a little more Garden of Eden-like. And so I said, okay, luck of the mm. earth. And then there's another parcel that we call river because it, there's these river stones on the, the surface from when this was a dried river. And so depending on the era of the river, you would see the stones on the surface or not because the river would be moving with the earthquakes and the volcanoes and all this geological activity. So the other one is river to remember that there was a river going through here. And the river one has a lot of stones, so it tends to be a little grainier. You know, I was talking about going in the Cabernet Franc direction. That's going more in the yes. Cabernet Franc direction. Mm -hmm. The Fortuna Terra to me goes more in the Pinot Noir direction, but it's a heavier wine than a Pinot Noir, but still really floral and and has a lightness because of this vineyard. Yeah. And then the Mundus, that the long name is Mundus Basilus Terrae, which means elegant <laughs> microbes of the earth. And the reason we named it that is that we did a microbial study of the soil. And, you know, our soils are notoriously poor in organic material, which makes them low yielding. And I think particularly good for viticulture. You know, in viticulture, you want poor mm. soils you want low fertility because that means that you get all the the concentration of energy from the plant goes into the grapes and not into the leaves so if you plant a vine in a tropical mm. place it will be all leaf and very little grape but if you plant it in a poor soil you know the energy is going to go into the grapes and it will be low naturally low yielding so the mundus uh, wine comes from this parcel where we did a microbial study and we discovered two new species of microbes. And, okay. you know, you know, the terroir question is, is really important. And I'm sure you talked about this with Jamie Good in that what gives you the taste of place? Is it the soil? Is it the microbes in the soil? Is it the water retention? Is it the nutrients? And, you know, we do know that, you know, calcium carbonate, which is in limestone, it's not because of the calcium that those wines taste the way they do. It's something else. And so my theory is that these microbes that are both involved in the root absorbing nutrients, uh, a lot of them are rhizobacteria. They're bacteria that without them, the vine could not survive because these uh, symbiotic bacteria help the, the roots absorb nutrients and withstand stress. And so these microbes are elegant microbes. So that's where the word mundus, which people think it means world, but it actually means elegant in Latin. Uh, elegant microbes of the earth are very elegant because they make this elegant wine and they are just so precious uh, in what they do, helping us, you know, they help the vines, they help people. Microbes are why that's we can absorb food, you know, microbes are essential to human survival. You know, we have more microbial DNA on our bodies than human DNA. Most people don't know this. So anyhow, I wanted to name the parcel for these microbes that we had discovered. And uh, 
Most people call it the mundus, but it is named after these microbes because, you know, I also ask myself the question, who is the real owner of this vineyard? Is it me, you know, that is not there every day? Uh, no, it's the microbes. They are there every day, hanging yeah. out in the soil. They're the hard workers. <laughs> no, no, no. It's, let's give them some credit. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so wait, wait, wait. Laura, Laura. Most important is that going to be the healthiest wine for us if we need the oh. microbes? No, is, no. Is it going to be healthier? No, no. I mean, you know, there's so much literature on wine and health, and the main thought for wine and health is that wine, just like spirits, act as a blood thinner. You know, and the reason why wine is probably mm. healthier is because it doesn't have added sugar. And it doesn't have carbs. I mean, there's some wines that have sugar and they would have more carbs. But, you know, wine is, is particularly uh, healthier in that it has somewhat lower alcohol than, let's say, spirits. And, um, you know, it's low in, in carbohydrates. But the effect is more of the blood thinner effect. And that's why the cardiovascular benefit of wine. But, you know, wine, if it's not consumed in moderation, is really bad. It can give you worse heart disease. All kinds of cancers are increased by over drinking, you know, cancers of the GI tract, of the liver. So, you know, that's why I think that, you know, wine has always been traditionally consumed with friends, with a meal, in moderation. You know, that's how people had drank it as part of the Mediterranean diet. You know, it's not drinking five glasses per day. It's drinking one or two. And uh, yeah, Are you listening, everyone? Okay, everyone? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, this is from a doctor and, and, who works in the wine and, industry. And actually, ideally, you skip a couple of days per week. That's what they're recommending now, to actually skip you know, a couple of days per week. Oh, no, yeah. no, 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 enough, enough, no, 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 let's, no, I don't, we, okay, um, um, how do we move off of this subject now? Um, yes. <laughs> we don't want the listeners to turn off, do no, we? No. Um, <laughs> I am just, I, I haven't got to the last one yet. I'm going to just tell you what I think of everyone listening. Oh my God, already the first two. They, these wines are ridiculously good. They are so stunning. Um, for anybody who's interested, the Fortuna Terai is going to be around 86 pounds from Vinissimus. They're doing the 2018 or from Jeroboam's in Bond, you can get the 2019. And for me, I just, I was just writing down some tasting notes as I was tasting it. And I, what I really like about it is it has this kind of like sweet balsamic notes. Like it's got this lovely ripe black plums um, and even like a cassisi note, but then lovely, I think you said florals, like you get this dried lavender yes, and beautiful florals. chalky tannins. Oh, it's stunning. So mm, that was lovely and it was really it was rounded, but it wasn't super intense. Then the second one actually on the palate is fuller. It's richer. It's juicier, I found. Like sweeter on the palate, but the nose is actually almost a little bit more old world in style. So like a bit of like even graphite on the nose, some raspberry leaf, like this kind of mineral. I, I was even, I've even put down like this kind of volcanic gravelly ash, like along with the kind of blueberries and black cherries. It's fascinating how different they are, but at the same time, they're still very Malbec-like, yeah. you know? Yeah, they're very different. We do mm. have some volcanic rocks because there are some volcanoes in the Andes. And okay. at some point, mm -hmm. uh, there was volcanic activity nearby, but but that's not the dominant. So the dominant no. particles are either, you know, limestone and calcium carbonate-covered mm. uh, stones from the river or these uh, 
you know, white stones that are really pretty and they're both, you know, deep down and on the surface. Mm. The second one, which I was just describing, was the River Malbec 2019, which is from, I found Lay and Wheeler, everybody, they're doing it for £129 a bottle. And Jeroboam's again is doing the the wines in Bond for you to check out. And actually my question with the River Malbec, is this the same wine that used to be called River Stones Malbec? Yes. So the wine used to be called River Stones, starting with the 2012 harvest. But we had, Mm. there was a brand called River Stones altogether, which we didn't detect when we did the trademark search. And so I Ah, had to, they gave me the option of calling it Stones or River. And most people were calling it the River anyhow, like kind of like the Mundus Basilio Terra, they call it Mundus and Fortuna. Most people call it Fortuna. And so I thought, okay, we'll keep the Mm -hmm. first word. But yeah, so that, that, that was the old name. And, you know, we didn't want to change the name because that wine already had two 100 point ratings by the time we had to change the name. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say 2016, everyone was the, one of the first wines in Argentina to get a hundred points. And the second wine was also with you guys, which was a Cabernet Franc. So you got both of them, didn't you? Yeah. So so that's that's, amazing. Yeah. But I like the name. It's simpler, but yeah. Okay, fine. Okay. And the last one, everybody, which is the, in short form, the Mundus, you can get it from uh, Vinissimus is doing it for £196 a bottle, Crew Worldwide, Berry Bros and Ryder doing it in Bond. This one, I'm smelling it. It's the most powerful and it's also the most earthy. I feel it's it's very, it's concentrated, it's textural. And really, you know, I feel like I can taste the the soils, wet soils and herbs and dried flowers. Um, yeah, and, and the, the minerality seems the yeah. most this, uh, prominent on this one. This is a 1.4 hectare parcel that has always been the best parcel in this vineyard. It's tiny. The vines are really old, you know, from 1992. They're perfect balance, you know, small berries, small production and it's always very concentrated it it always has a little bit of what you call the mineral like that pencil kind of like Mm -hmm. aroma that you sometimes get in wines that are going to take a long time to age so the mundus is, is the wine that is always a little bit tight when it's young and then you taste it 10 years later and it's explosive and it has this texture and you know, layers upon layers upon layers. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's, I would, I think it is the most age worthy Malbec made in Argentina today. That's my claim. <laughs> this is drinking beautifully now. Uh, yeah. I can only imagine. Sadly, I don't have enough. I won't be. I won't be able to check it in. Te- oh, oh, listen, let's stay friends, um, and uh, <laughs> and I'll try again in ten years. Yes. But um, no, everybody, I'm not going to go into any more detail on tasting notes here. But please check out through my Instagram later, and I'm going to put. I'm going to be tasting these after the podcast, and and really going and writing exactly what I taste so that for those of you that perhaps will not be able to taste this you know a little bit more about what's going on in Argentina's Grand Crew site right let's let's point this out and ah you were mentioning in feet as well I can say for everybody in the UK who's more meters the exact because I have the tech sheet in front of me 1366 meters is the elevation yes. for the Adriana vineyard yeah it's, it's between uh, 1300 and something and 14. 14- 80 
So it's it's a ah, range. Okay, it's, so a, it's range. a bit higher than that. Yeah, yeah. A but bit you know, what, you know what? Okay. I always forget that in UK, they you guys use. <laughs> you're very confusing because some things you do in meters. You're some very do, confusing. I, no, I I always do English speakers. I do in feet, but for vineyard things, UK often does the centimeters and. And the meters. Oh, I, but, uh, I don't yes. know. I don't know what we do, to be honest. <laughs> it is, honestly, it is It is very, very confusing, to be yeah. honest. Anyway, never well, mind. I still live in Celsius. <laughs> we do. Yeah, we yeah, do. Exactly. You're fine with us. Good, good, good. That works for us. What I also have is white bones and white stones, which are the Chardonnay. So we're going to leave the Malbecs now and just finish off with just a few of the other grape varieties. So people realize that Catena is not just about Malbec, although, of course, you do a mighty fine Malbec. Now, I remember when I was in this specific vineyard, the Adriana Vineyard, that I basically was asked almost like to to split my legs wide apart and the distance of <laughs> everyone bear with me loudest laughter it doesn't mean anything and the distance of my legs was basically the difference between where you have the white stones vineyard and then where it just turns into white bones the soil is completely different and they're right next to each other aren't they yes like a meter apart I just it's a memory that always sticks in my mind and I'm going to tell you that my favorite and it still is my favorite is white stones the softness the peachiness the the minerality the there's this lightness that it dances whereas the bones is always more um structured and powerful and richer which is my god divine but stones is always my favorite yeah so for me the bones has this crumbled limestone that to me looks like bones Mm. and some of it is from remnants from when the andes were covered by the oceans and then the stones which is right next to it it has these big white stones and you know it's all because of the history of this dried river you know and what was happening with the river with the again the earthquakes the volcanoes and you get such a different flavor from the white bones and i think it's probably related to the microbial activity in the soil but nobody knows you know all this research we've done i still haven't been able to uncover it and you know there's somebody who really loves to talk about this stuff, and that's Jamie Good. And so I would love to ask him <laughs> that question. I know. And you know the worst thing? You said, oh, I'm sure you talked about terroir. I picked some other subjects from his book, and I went into the winemaking side and not the viticulture. And at the end of the podcast, I said to him, so what's, what was your favorite part of the book? And he's like, terroir. And I was like, oops, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we didn't even touch on terroir at all. Um, yeah. Everyone bombard Jamie with questions, yes. but it's, it's, it's curious because I'm drinking. So right now I've got the 2020 of both everybody. These are about, these are just under 90 pounds each, about 88 pounds from Vinissimus. But like the white bones, it has this kind of more dried fruit edge. Yeah, it's more herbal. This slightly. People always say yeah. like, this is such a rare aroma for Chardonnay, but it's a very shallow soil. The grapes are you know, pretty stressed, you know, the vibes. Uh, mm, there's small mm-hmm. bunches and the yields are low. And I don't know what happens here that we get this herbal note. And then the white stones is a little creamier. And I think it is a little bit of the reflection of the sunlight on the stones on surface. And the drainage is very good. And they're both very concentrated, but because of the high altitude, they're very high in acidity. 
So, oh, uh, you know, you get that freshness, that minerality that we like in a, in a great Chardonnay, but you also get that texture and richness that it, I think comes from the low yields and, and these kinds of soils. But yeah, I'd love to know why these wines are so different, uh, but they are. The and they are they're yeah. oh my god white stones is always going to be the uh, the perfumed uh ethereal version for me i don't know i love i love them both i but everybody get both and try and then you know we need to do we need a hashtag on instagram white bones v white stones it needs to can we can we <laughs> i would love that unfortunately That'd be great yeah Unfortunately, we, it's not a price point that we can really well, get you, everybody you know, to do, but we can try. Yeah, when I when I do one of these tastings where I pour both wines, it's always half and half. What's mm. your favorite? And it's always half and half. And I don't know what it is about the human tongue that some people prefer one, some people prefer the other. Oh my God, seriously. White Stones, everyone, is this explosion of pineapple with this chalkiness, with this creaminess, with this beautiful lift of flowers. I mean, what what, what sounds horrible about that? <laughs> Nothing. Nothing. Now, as we start closing up this this podcast, um, I want to ask you about working with Alejandro Vigil because he is an incredible winemaker. He is, you know, behind all of these wines as well. Uh, how? What have you learned from him? What's it been like working with him? Well, you know, we just published his book together, Malbec Mon Amor. Yeah, yeah and that was and really I've got it fun. In front of me. But you know, if you look at the cover of the book, it looks like a movie poster, and it's him and I <laughs> driving in some beat-up car. Usually, we we are going in a nice car because the roads are so bad. You need, you know, some kind of good wheels or something. But um, uh-huh. but you know, working with him is kind of like being in a movie. Uh, he is, you know, very hyperactive has a lot of ideas and thinks very clearly and you can move very quickly with him but he's also able to sit and think and honestly I think his normal personality is to be doing things all the time changing things all the time a little bit like me my grandfather used to call me la lauchita which means the little mouse because I never stopped running around and I think my father has taught both of us to think more and, you know, to take time to think of, through things. My, my father has his famous expression, I'll think it till tomorrow. And we all hate him for it because, you know, you spend an hour <laughs> presenting something to him and you want an answer and he'll say, I'll think it till tomorrow. And, you know, and tomorrow he'll Ugh. give you an answer, but, you know, you just want the answer now. And, you know, imagine dealing with this when you're seven years old and you want an ice cream, you know. <laughs> But, uh, but, you know, but another trauma. Yeah, yeah, no, I I would I wouldn't complain. My father is so great. But although I always tell him he's not (laughs) such a great father because he let me do whatever I wanted. And that's not good parenting. But uh, but anyhow, going back to Alejandro, you know, he is a very creative person, but who's also a scientist. You know, he he was working Mm -hmm. at the soil division as the head of the soils division at the National Institute of Research in Mendoza. So. You know, he is just so methodical, so intelligent, and really likes to think, but he also likes to do a lot of things. And that combination is magical because, you know, sometimes you you overthink things. And, you know, having that capacity to make a decision, to live with a mistake, which, you know, he and I have often made mistakes. And... Uh, as everybody does, obviously. Uh, but he, and he's also somebody who 
who really knows how to motivate people because he cares about people. And that's why, you know, he is, you know, the head of our production team and our winemaking in Mendoza because, you know, my father and I, in the end, we believe in people and in helping our region and the people in our region. And we know that we need to help support the earth if we want to be making wine 200 years from now. You know, our families made wine 200 years in the past, you know, between Italy and Argentina. Can we sustain this way of life for 200 more years? And for that, we need to take care of people and the environment and so many things. And Alejandro is just as passionate about that. And he lives uh, with that ethos. You know, he cares about each person that works at the winery. And uh, that's why I love working with him. Yeah. And I think you've created such a beautiful book for anybody we haven't actually touched on the subregions and within the subregions are even more subregions of Mendoza and flicking through the book one everybody there is so many pictures and so many cartoons and illustrations which I know Laura from having the your other book Gold in the Vineyards which was an amazing book um Thank you. you love illustrations I right love illustrations yes <laughs> right and but but I don't care who you are even if you don't think you like illustrations there's nothing worse than reading a book with just with just words because yeah. we love pictures we love art anybody who loves wine is going to have some creative nature and I think that it really helps you many people are visual learners um and this book that you've that you've written with um Alejandro Malbec Mon Amor is stunning and you've got a whole description of the Malbec flavors in La Lunta yeah. which is one of the subregions of uh, Maipú which is slightly warmer isn't it yes. because it's it's lower out yes. it's the the lowest yes. altitude yes. Then, then I can see that you've got the where the winery is. That's in Agrello, which is Luján de Cujo, right? Yes. And yes. this is now Luján de Cujo for everybody listening. And then the Uco Valley. This is where you get the, the much higher altitude. But it's amazing because the amount of detail you've gone into. And then, of course, Gualtajari, yeah. which my pronunciation is probably yeah. terrible. Um, but this is where you're going to find the, the Grand Cru site in Uco Valley. And I think for anybody who really wants to understand all the different soils, the terroir, the altitude, the styles of what you can get on Malbec, and look at some very, very beautiful pictures along the way, yeah. <laughs> some lovely and, artwork. And you know, the at the end, we have our, our session of music and art and wine pairing. And inspired by this book, because Alejandro and I love to listen to music, and we're always thinking, oh, what wine is this music? And we would always just do that for mm -hmm. fun. And then we said, let's put this in the book. And we now have a wine and music pairing tasting at the winery that is our most popular tasting. Ah. And we basically do a wine and two music, two kinds of music, and people in the group decide which is their favorite. And it is one of the most fun exercises. And I highly recommend it for people. If you have a party, have, you know, flights of two wines and then... Actually, you can just do one wine and two songs, or you could do two wines and then do four songs, however you choose to do it, and have your mm -hmm. group of people decide which is their favorite music. It's actually really fun, and I highly recommend that, and I've had many friends try it and have great fun at home, but we also do it at the winery. So yeah, if you come to Argentina, you can book a wine and music pairing. Oh, oh my God. Absolutely amazing. So to absolutely finalize, 
because I have a bottle of the DV Catena Cabernet Franc 2019 in front of me. Um, this, everybody, if unfortunately you are not able to get your hands on any of the other wines and they are a little bit pricey, which we understand, this is £10 in Tesco's, everyone. So this is going to be the wine you want to go for. And... Cabernet Franc is your thing, right? So this was the other wine, not this specific wine, but there was a Cabernet Franc that got the first 100 points in Argentina as well, right? Which one was this one? This was the Gran Enemigo. So actually, you know, my sister and Alejandro, my sister Adriana, that we named this famous vineyard after her, she and Alejandro started this joint project, winemaking project called El Enemigo, the Enemy, because it's inspired by... The worst enemy we all have is the enemy within, uh, you know, fighting against uh, ourselves to do one thing or another. I, I love the concept because I do think there is so much <laughs> truth to that. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, anyhow, so they, they came up with this project that they wanted to highlight Cabernet Franc because they both love Cabernet Franc. And so we actually were already making the Angelica Zapata actually makes a great Cabernet Franc that is very famous in Argentina. And so Alejandro, as our winemaker, really loved the variety. And so El Enemigo is born, you know, as a, as a brand that would really highlight Cabernet Franc. They also make other varieties, but Cabernet Franc is the, the flagship. Uh, and also Angelica Zapata has a, a really great Cabernet Franc. And we put Cabernet Franc in some of our Cabernets, like the Nicolas Catena Zapata. But Cabernet Franc from Argentina and like the one that you're talking about, the, the DV uh, Catena. So Cat Franc is a variety that is not widely planted in Argentina. So, you know, there is about 50,000 hectares of Malbec planted and there's about 2,000 of Cat Franc. So you're never mm. going to see a ton of Cabernet Franc, or at least in the near future. We are planting more Cat Franc because we think it is incredibly well adapted to our soil and climate. And it gives you a Cabernet Franc that has that nice touch of herbaceous, but not too much. And it's just explosive and rich and so textured. I think Argentine Cabernet Franc is phenomenal. The one problem for you guys in UK is that it's become very fashionable in Argentina. And so most of the Cabernet Franc is staying in Argentina. I This has been a big fight of mine. I, I talk <laughs> about this on many podcasts. Cabernet Franc is insanely good. It's got the best of so many different worlds. It has all of that yeah. kind of lovely blackcurrant cassisi fruit. It has the, the, the Cabernet Sauvignon has. It has those kind of more kind of, like this one is a perfect example. I'm getting this like dusty tannins. It has a nice amount of grippiness from the tannins, but it's juicy and it feels like it's herbaceous and you get that kind of pencil sharpenings and lovely yeah. kind of tomato leaf. I just... It's fresh, it's juicy, but it's got some good tannins. It's such a good grape variety, but it, it oh, when's the year? When's the year that it takes off? <laughs> well, well, you know, in the UK, I, we are definitely planting more, and I think there's other people planting more. I think there's a really interesting Cabernet Franc, and it's great because you don't have to remember too many new words. You know, most people know Cabernet Sauvignon. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes. Uh, so I, I think it's a really exciting variety. I also like some Cabernet Francs I've had from Northern Italy. Oh, you know, mm -hmm. there's little pockets of places. Cabernet Franc is, likes cooler climate a little more like than Cabernet Sauvignon. Mm -hmm. I think it's a little more versatile. Um, but I also love Cabernet Sauvignon. Um, so I, I'm excited about Cabernet Franc. I think 
it's it's a beautiful grape, like you said, that has kind of the best of all worlds. And um, I think we're going to see more of it from many places. Well, I think anybody who wants to try this £10 Cabernet Franc, if you've never had Cab Franc, I mean, this gives you the beautiful black currant. There's a little bit of a stoniness to it. Um, it's a bit savory and almost a slightly spicy on the nose. And the palette has all these kind of tobacco leaves. And as I already mentioned, like dusty tannins, it's a bit grippy, but then it's really, really juicy and concentrated. So if you like Malbec, if you like Cabernet Sauvignon, I promise you, you're going to love this. So it, you can't lose at 10 pounds, right? No, no, oh, no. <laughs> my gosh. Um, Laura, thank you. Um, I literally, as you know, have a million questions for you. You are a fountain of knowledge and an absolute pleasure to speak to. Um, everybody, Catena Wines, we seem to have touched over the last two episodes on slightly more premium wines. But realistically, as you know, I finished off there is a £10 wine. Just the Catena Malbec, I think, actually retails about £20. They have an absolutely stunning, the Appalachian Chardonnay. There's loads of Catena around in online, Hedonism, um, Harvey Nichols, loads of different places. So please go and try Catena. I am, as, as the unpaid ambassador... <laughs> I am. <laughs> I will always adore and love Katana. Yeah. Thank you. And now I count all the listeners as unpaid ambassadors. Uh, yeah. In fact, they're paying ambassadors because they're buying the wine. You're losing money for being a Katana ambassador, but what you lose in money, you gain in experience, exposure, and evolution of your soul. Exactly. <laughs> and pleasure. And pleasure. Ugh. Oh. You're amazing. Laura, everybody is going to go and drink these wines because you've spoken about them beautifully. So thank you. Thank you, thank you and so much. may I wish you a beautiful weekend Great. and I'll speak to you soon. Thank you so much. Take care. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. As always, I will finish off this episode with a wine quote. And I found one that I liked from Director of Winemaking, Alejandro Vigil. This, like last week's, is also in their latest book, Malbec Mon Amor. Gualtajari is, as they describe it, an impossible place, almost inhospitable. Yet, now it is considered a Grand Cru. You're going to find this area within the subregion, Tupungato, in the larger subregion, Uco Valley. Put this on your list to look up and know more about. But for Alejandro's quote, he said, Nicholas was a visionary. He knew that a place as distinctive and unique as Gualtajari might have, at simple view, poor soils. But this poverty of soils that generated just the right amount of stress for the vines would become the secret ingredient for the one-of-a-kind and unforgettable wines of Adriana. So, perhaps these poor soils were rich after all. I love that. Now, to prepare you for next week's episode, after I did my previous episodes on viticulture, so episode 98 and 105, with information taken from the WSET Diploma Study Books, WSET students contacted me and requested I create some more episodes like this. Well, it's going to be hard for me to do that for your one big exam, which is called D3, Wines of the World, but next week, 
I'm going to do an episode in a flashcard kind of style for fortified wines. So for you diploma students, you can really test your knowledge. But for everyone else just looking to learn more about wines, you will also be able to play along. Make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss it. Leave me a comment to help make the podcast more discoverable. And make sure you share this episode with your Malbec-loving friends. Get yourself sorted with some sherry, Madeira or port ready to drink along next week. May you all continue to learn wine, love wine and until next Monday, cheers to you.